Welcome to the Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Right, so about 20 years ago, 22 years ago, in a city in Canada called Toronto, there was an amazing phenomena that, that happened. I don't know whether you've heard about this or not, but it became known as the Toronto Blessing. And um, really, I think um, probably worldwide, the church has never been the same since. And we as a church, because as a church, Kingsway, we have always run after God. We've always gone for anything new that God has kind of seemed to be doing. We would, we just, you just wanted authenticity. Um, we sent people over to Toronto and um, they came back just transformed. Uh, absolutely amazing. And I hated it. It was the worst thing that had happened to me in my Christian life. And I'd been a Christian then about 25, 26 years. And I was a very stable Christian. I was a very successful Christian. I was a very um, respected Christian. Um, and I felt I was doing a really good job. I know it's just... Thanks. Talking yeah, I thought I was, ooh. <laughs> Carry on. Irving, what are you doing? It's <laughs> very tickly. Right, I can't keep talking. Right. right, so. <clears throat> um, and I just felt as a Christian, I had got it together, you know. And then these people came back from Toronto and they were laughing and they were falling over and they were talking about... God in a way that really offended me. They were talking about God being daddy. Now that's, I found that so, uh, so disrespectful um, and very scary, actually. Um, they were talking about sitting on daddy's knee. And I thought that was just so kind of out of my comfort zone. And so my lovely church that was such a safe place for me suddenly became a place that was threatening, that I didn't know how to handle this new stuff, this intimacy, intimacy. Um, I just didn't know how to handle it. Uh, because, you know, I was, a good, I was a good Christian lady, and so I didn't miss church. I, I wouldn't not go to church. You know, it would be, that was important. Going to church was really important. I would go, but I would sit on the very back row, and then I'd, there was a big invisible sort of sign here saying, do not come any nearer than this. Do not try to drag me into this sort of what's happening to you. Um, and I was very, I don't know what the, what, how to describe it really. I was just very shocked and very scared really because I suddenly was faced with something I could not handle. Um, and at that point, I realized that I needed help <laughs> or something. I didn't know what I needed, really. Um, but I became aware that my Christian life had been living on maybe a, a superficial level. And there was something deeper here that I didn't know how to handle. I couldn't control it. Um, so that's just a sort of a little bit about an introduction about me. Irvin obviously has talked quite a bit about himself and his um, some of his struggles. And I'll talk a little bit more about why that was the case later. But just for now, just to let you know that, you know, when uh, Rebecca said, we these are two people who embrace everything so wonderfully. Well, that certainly wasn't true for me at that point. Yeah, I did not want to embrace this. And if anybody came and embraced me, I said, oh, daddy loves you. He's, he's just like the best dad in the world. I would just, go, everything inside me would scream, go away, go away, just get out of my space. So I don't know if any of you now feel that disqualifies me <laughs> from teaching you. I suppose at that time it would have done. I have changed since then, though. Um, Okay, so I'm going to unpack a little bit now um, some of the things that Irving said. He's laid a brilliant sort of base, really, for what we're talking about this week. Um, and I, 
I've done this diagram to illustrate really what goes on in us. Because when, when something, how, how can I describe this? We say in English, when something presses your button, that means when, um, when, when something happens outside you and you have a reaction to that that is like extreme. Well, that was me, you know? That was me when these people came back from Toronto and everybody else was, oh, this is so wonderful. My reaction was extreme. It was, I thought, where is this coming from? Why am I reacting like this? That's like press my button. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, I press my button. So when something presses your button and you think, ooh, why am I reacting in this way? Then we have thoughts, we have feelings, and we have um, behaviors, right? There are thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. So if we think of this plant, really, as reflecting the thoughts, feelings, and behaviors, um, what would you say is the most visible, like the flower is the most visible thing? Out of those three things, thoughts, feelings, and behavior, what would you say is the most visible, is obvious, yeah? Yeah, the behaviors, right. So, so my behavior was, in that situation, to sit on the back row and to, by my body language, to make sure people didn't get too close to me, okay? Um, what would you say at the other end of the scale are the things that people perhaps find hardest to detect in you? Is it the feelings or the thoughts? Which is easiest to hide? Your feelings or your thoughts, would you say? Thoughts are easiest to hide. So thoughts are the things that are below the ground. Okay. So your thoughts are like the roots, really. Yeah, we'll put thoughts or beliefs. Yeah. Because your thoughts aren't, aren't always your beliefs. But often, they are your beliefs. And we'll look, we'll look at that in a minute. Um, so, thoughts and beliefs. And then, be, and then feelings. Sometimes you're able to hide them, but often they become apparent. Okay. So, what I'm going to do now is just look at some different, different situations that people like might find themselves in, and how they would respond to those situations through their behavior, their feelings, and their thoughts and beliefs. Let's take Irving's situation for, um, as a first example. So um, that uh, the name-calling, okay, he was talking about the name-calling um, at school. So do you remember what that made him believe about himself? Unlovable, okay? So, yeah. Um, well, Irving, you could tell us this, can't you? But let's see if people can get an idea of how he might be feeling in that situation. How do you think he might have felt then? Yeah? Yeah? Would you agree with that? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Sad. Yeah, you feel sad, yeah. Uh, okay. All right. Anything else that you want to add? Well, one of the thoughts and beliefs, I, I, I was angry more at my parents, strangely enough. I was angry at the people who were bullying me, but I was also angry at my parents for having chosen to call me these names, which led to this. So angry at your parents. Yeah, so, and, and remember then, the, the I'm not lovable as well. Right. So... I'll just repeat these, actually. I'm just thinking for the tape. So my parents don't love me as well. H 
how did you behave then? What was your behavior in that situation? Well, I was very wimp-like at school. <laughs> so I, I kind of, it was more withdrawal. Withdrawal, okay. And remember, one of the behaviors was I struggled now to call people by shortened names. Yeah, okay. Um, just put no nicknames, would that be all right? No nicknames. Okay. Right, so we have, we have behaviours and feelings, but those are often on the surface, but the thoughts and beliefs are buried. I mean, would you agree that you wouldn't have gone around thinking consciously, I'm just not lovable, I'm not a lovable person? No, that would have been, yeah, yeah, that would be buried. Okay, right, I'm going to just tell you the story of a friend of mine now. Um, pretty normal um, family life. Um, her dad had been um, brought up in the war and he had been evacuated um, to, uh, to the countryside um, in the war. Um, where he was quite happy, in fact, um, living with this, this, this family. Um, but uh, one day the news came through um, and the, the, the lady who was kind of looking after him um, came and said, I'm really sorry to have to tell you this, but your dad has been killed. So his dad died in the war. Um, and apparently he just didn't show any emotion. He went to, um, the, the, they had like animals in this, this farm, they had little rabbits, pet rabbits. He went and hugged one of the rabbits and cried. And then he made a vow that he would not cry again. He would not show his emotions again. Um, so he buried all that pain and all that hurt and he just buried it. Um, now that, the results for him were then he could not show emotion in his family, he struggles to show emotions to his children. And so my friend um, had a dad who loved her and she knew he loved her. And he was funny and jokey and, um, you know, he, was, he was supported the family. So in lots of ways, he was a really good dad. But just in this one aspect, he couldn't show emotion, which meant he couldn't show tenderness, he couldn't show um, affection. Um, so everything became like a, a bit of a joke, you know. Um, and so the message uh, that my friend got, what do you think, what, what message do you think might have come out of that for her? What, what do you think that, that what message did she receive from that, that he was unable to show her affection, he was unable to show tenderness, um, he didn't give her words of affirmation, really, which was quite common in those days anyway, because I think probably when you were being br brought up 50 years ago, there was a sort of strange idea that if you praised your children and, you know, said they were really good, you would make them sort of boastful and big-headed. And so generally, I think parents didn't actually praise their children very much, you know. So what, what message do you think that would give to her? Yeah, not good enough. Yeah, when she did things that she felt were really worthy of praise and she tried her best and she'd produced something really lovely, um, she just didn't get that praise, really. So, yeah, I'm not good enough. Anything else do you think might have been a message there? Maybe um, the message of love is not about emotions. The message of... Yeah, yes. Thinking of love is something abstract. Yeah, okay. Um, or love is not real. Or yeah, love is not, is not... Like we'd say in English, maybe tangible, you know, something that you can hold on to. Yeah. Sorry. 
So there we've got... Um, uh, often, you know, the, the deepest lies are the ones that begin with I'm. So I'm not lovable. I'm not good enough. Can you think of any others that might begin with I'm and then... Yes, yeah. Okay, we'll leave that there. Maybe there weren't any more. Um, anyway, but we'll, we'll come to another situation in a minute. Um, so I know that her behavior, well, can you guess what her behavior might have been? The key lie probably is I'm not good enough. So what? Yeah. Yeah, constantly trying to do better, constantly trying to, um, you know, cause this dad to, to notice how good she was. So she, she was a very, very good girl. Um, but she would just put in a lot of effort. So, yeah, striving to... Oh, ran out of that one. So, in fact, if you had looked at this young lady, you would have thought she was the perfect child. Um, you would have thought there was no problem because her behavior was perfect, impeccable. Um, but underneath that, there was this, um, this, this sort of struggle, this, this striving, this need to be approved of. And it, she, it was very stressful for her, yeah? Um, feelings? Um, yeah, I think that's a good word, actually. Sort of, why then? Why would she feel this heartbreak, you think? Yeah, I mean, he did give her love, but he didn't give her this um, dem demonstrative affection as that she needed. Um, well, let's put, yeah, let's, let, let's. Empty, yeah. I think some rejected worthless as well. I think that would probably reflect how she felt. Um, I don't think she felt angry. Um, I think she probably felt disappointed, really. Um, I think she also felt she was a, dis a disappointment. Yeah, so I think that would come here, wouldn't it? I'm a disappointment. I've not, you know, I must be doing something wrong because I'm not getting that sort of affirmation and therefore uh, there's something wrong with me. I'm a disappointment. Yes, I think so, yeah. Okay, so... And yet, you would never have known that was how she was feeling. You would never have known this is what she was believing, yeah? Because... She was always wanting to do the best, to be the best. Um, yeah, okay. Yes, Jonas. No, not at all. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, that's right. I said to Irving, were you aware as you were growing up that you... That, re that you believed about yourself, I'm not lovable. And, of course, he wasn't. Um, and I remember um, one of the most shocking moments of my life was after, again, after being a Christian for about 25, 30 years. This was all during this time of the Toronto thing and me suddenly realizing that there were areas of my life that I couldn't understand and... Um, handle. Um, uh, Sharon and I went on a on a retreat. We went on a retreat then, and it was it was 
very much based on what we're doing this week, just looking at roots. What, what are the roots? Where do the roots lie? Um, because they are hidden, because they're, you know, buried. And I remember just, just sort of coming to God and saying, okay, I'm, I just want you to be completely honest and just tell me what is the foundational belief that I have that is causing me to act in these ways that I don't understand. Um, and immediately the phrase came, I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. Now that, for me, was unbelievable because I'd been a Christian 25 years. I was leading, helping to lead the church. I was leading the youth. I was very much like this lady here. I would be involved in anything because I just, you know, wanted to serve God um, and wanted probably people's approval as well. <laughs> so to, to hear I'm a nobody was a shock, more than a shock. In fact, I remember going down to breakfast just after I'd had this kind of revelation um, about what I believed. And I sat down and I just, I just got so angry. I thought, how can God just sort of come along and show me this horrible thing in my heart? And I remember just standing up at the breakfast table, everybody else eating their toast and drinking their tea. And I threw down my toast and I just screamed. <laughs> it was really not me, this. You know, I was a good girl, so <laughs> this is very unusual. I said, I just can't stand this place. I, I hate it here. <laughs> you know, and I don't believe. I don't know. And I just burst into tears and ran out. I mean, but the thing is, you see, um, uh, the thing is, let me just say it this way, that when we're children, our hearts are exposed, aren't they? We don't know how to protect our hearts. We learn that later on. Yes, and I'm going to talk in a minute about the strategies that we use in order to keep pain away. But when we're children, these messages come to our hearts. And, you know, I'm not loved. Is a, it's, it hits us here. Yeah, it really hits us here. And then because that's too painful to actually take um, to live with every day, we have to develop strategies to protect ourselves and to distance ourselves. But the problem is <laughs> that when God in his goodness says, let's have a little look at some of these <laughs> roots here. Let's just see what's going on under the surface. Then that childlike pain <laughs> all comes woo out. Now, I'm not saying that that's how you are going to react this week at all. Because, you know, it was a... Because I was kind of like in my 40s or 50s or something, when all this um, was revealed to me, I had a lot of years of protection and a lot of years of um, proving to, to, to the rest of the world that I was a good person. So it was a, a big shock and it was a big kind of... Um, a bit dramatic, you know, I was a bit dramatic. But, you know, it's the best thing that ever happened to me, that. The best thing, because, um, you know, in, in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, um, Paul says this. He says, you know, we've got to know what the lies are. He does say that. Um, he says... Yeah, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. And we'll come to how we fight this in, the, in a little while. But they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And these are strongholds. A stronghold is a place like a tower that is very, very well protected. Yeah, it's very well defended. Yes. And these are the areas in, in, our, in our hearts, Rita, that are very well defended. The enemy has placed these lies here. He's got his arrows and he has attacked us, yeah, in, through different messages, yeah, that we get, usually when we're younger. And these things need to be demolished, yeah? So... The, the weapons we have have divine power to demolish strongholds. 
And then it says, we demolish arguments. Okay, so the arguments are, oh, you're not lovable. Your parents, if they do that, they can't, that must mean they don't love you. You're not good enough, are you, really? Hmm? You're a disappointment, actually. You're a disappointment. They expected a bit better of you. Who does that sound like? Right? It doesn't sound like your mum or your dad, does it? It's a, right, the enemy throws these arguments in. He's so clever at that. So we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And what was Irving saying about the knowledge of God? It's that intimate knowing. It's that heart where, you know, we'll talk about this in a minute, but all those painful arrows I get rid of and your heart then is free to know him. And that's where we're heading. All right, that's where we're heading. That's where I am now. And it's wonderful. It's wonderful. It's, it's worth all the pain. Honestly, it's worth all the pain. And maybe you won't get lots of pain. I'm not saying that, you know, I don't want to, don't want to wish it on you. But nevertheless, you know, we're in a fight, it says here. And we are able to take captive those rubbish thoughts and just say, you, you, you obey God, right? You're going to obey God, Yeah. I'm not having you anymore. I'm not having you. You know, when we do Sozo, um, Irvin and I, we love Sozo. <gasps> we just wait for your Sozos. It's brilliant. <laughs> you know, this is Irvin mostly, Irvin's thought, idea. But because part of Sozo is always to identify lies. And people sit there and they say, oh, well, Chris will know because he's had Sozo. You think, oh, I'm believing that. Oof. So we say, okay, we'll renounce it, yeah? So we go there, I renounce the lie. And they say, hey, I renounce the lie. And then they say this rubbish thing that they've renounced. And, and, um, but, you know, it's, somehow it's not quite enough sometimes. So what we do is we say, right, let's get rid of it. And then we brush it off. <laughs> get rid of these lies. Sorry, I just can't. This is just me. As you see, I can't sit down. <laughs> you know, get rid of them because they don't belong on you. They don't belong in you. Yeah, they are intruders, they are imposters, they don't belong, yeah? And um, it's just the, the most amazing thing to see people kind of <gasps> rise up as God speaks his truth into their hearts, you know? Very, very personal thing. It's, anyway, by the end of the week, you will be there. So, so where was I? I'm sorry, that was a bit of a digression. Um, Okay, yeah, so, so I'm doing this because it's good to just be able to recognize that there are different ways of behaving and feeling, different lies, that, but they all just keep us trapped. So just going to give you one more example. This is a bit more of an extreme example. Um, it's, it's actually very close to home, this example. There were two boys, right, and these two boys um, were oh, sadly... Um, well, had parents who were inadequate, all right, or sort of more than inadequate, really. Um, so these two boys' parents, they, um, they were sort of serious drug takers, um, and they, that affected their behavior, obviously. And so the boys were neglected, but they were also, um, you know, abused by, by these parents. And... Um, and ultimately, the social services were so worried that these boys would not survive um, Christmas because they visited the home and the home had, there, there was nothing in the home. Um, the boys were locked in a, in a room just with a, a one mattress that was soaked with urine, no toys, no nothing, nothing else. Um, and they were so worried that these boys would not survive. They were, you know, they were not eating. They, there was no food. Um, that they took them and put them into foster homes. And eventually, the the parents sadly were unable to um, to change their their lifestyle. And so, so the boys were uh, adopted. Um, now, uh, one of them reacted in this way, okay? His behavior was, 
right. I am going to show the world that I am worth something, yeah? Because obviously, all of that treatment is definitely going to be uh, give the message I'm worthless, yeah? I'm not even worth feeding, so, you know, I'm not worth anything. So one of the boys was, I'm going to prove to the world that I am worth it. And I'll just tell you something. If you ignore me, I'm going to get in your face, right? I'm going to get in your face. If you ignore me, I am just going to show you that I'm still here, yeah? And I'll do that any way I can. And if it means I've got to be annoying, I'll do it. And if it means I've got to be aggressive, I'll do that as well, okay? So his behavior was, um, if you like, aggressive, in your face, yeah? His feelings, his primary feeling, is, can anybody guess what it might be? I mean, it doesn't matter if you can't, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Anger, anger. From the very beginning, anger. Um, yeah, I'm not going to be able to keep this secret. These are our children. <laughs> and the very first thing that he said to me, um, as we took them out, like meeting them and out to the park, um, he disappeared, <laughs> just disappeared. And this was very, not very good from a you know, the social services point of view that you've had these children sort of about three minutes and you've lost one, you know, <laughs> doesn't look very good. So I was looking for him and he was hiding under, a, under a, an ice cream sort of sign, um, this little boy. And he just looked at me. I said, what are you doing there? He just looked at me and says, I'm so angry. And that was five years old. He was five years old. Um, and so his feelings have just been dominated, haven't they, really, by anger. Um, for, for, you know, he's now 27. Having said that, he is doing amazingly well. And he, we are so, so proud of him. So proud of him. Um, but, you know, still got... These things don't go away, as I said. They don't go away. Um, so his belief is, I'm worthless. Um, what else would you say? Beliefs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think another one's. Yes, I think that's absolutely, that is so true, isn't it? Self reliant. It's up to me, really. It's up to me. Okay, our other son reacted in a completely different way. He's a different person. Um, and so his behavior, can you think of any alternative behavior to those circumstances that someone might have other than being aggressive, angry, you know, in your face? Yeah, yeah. That's right. Jonas, what were you going to say? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it, exactly it. Um, when he was little, um, if there was a situation of conflict, which there were a lot of them, <laughs> um, you know, you'd look, Where, where's Craig? He was there a second ago. Where's he gone now? He would just be fast asleep on a chair. He had the ability just to fall asleep, didn't he? Instantly, yes, yeah. You know, so he just had, that was his way of, of, of uh, escaping, really, from, you know, from the pressure, from conflict. So he would withdraw. Oh, we've got withdrawal there as well. Um, escape. I think Craig's feelings, uh, in a sense, it was harder for him because at least 
our older son, he kind of, you know, he was determined to fight the world, if you like, and something rose up in him. And, but with Cray, I would, it was just a lot harder, wasn't it, really? And No, no. So num numbness, really. Yeah. And I think probably for Craig, I don't know. I don't know what his fundamental belief would be the same, really. Um, and for both of them, I'd say there's a sense of hopelessness, really, isn't there? Yeah, a sense of hopelessness. Um, that's almost like it's hopeless. Right, so just looking at the list then, I mean, that's obviously a very extreme situation um, for our boys. But, you know, it doesn't have to be an extreme situation for, their, for these lies to, um, to be embedded in our hearts, really. Um, what, what we've found is that often it's where there, um, there are needs that are not met, and it's usually within the family. That's what we, we usually find. Um, so just, just very briefly talking about myself, and, you know, what I told you my um, over-the-top reaction to, to um, the, this Toronto stuff. Uh, my dad was um, of the same generation as my friend's dad, so he lived through the war, um, and because of the situations in his own family when he was younger, very, very unemotional um, mother, um, he was unable to show emotion too, so I was in very much a similar situation to this friend of mine. Um, but he was a very good dad, he was a very kind dad, um, in lots of ways, but he couldn't show affection to me. So when um, people were coming back from Toronto and saying, oh, you know, fa Father, some of the things that John was saying last week, that, you know, Father is your dad. He, um, he's the best dad you could have. He does want this intimate relationship. He does want you to sit on his knee and so on. That was just completely foreign to me. It was not what a dad did. And it seemed quite inappropriate, really, because it was so different from my experience. And the thing is that one of my beliefs was this one. I, it's up to me. Yeah, everything's up to me. There were other things that happened. There were nobody's fault when I was younger. I mean, I had polio when I was... a when I was little and nobody knew I had polio, but I was in a lot of pain. And so, so there were several situations where it felt like there was nobody there for me. Um, and, and I was like on my own. So I determined that, you know, it was up to me to, to sort things out. So then to become dependent upon this father who was sort of, I don't know, a bit, I don't know, huggy, kissy and so on. Just, you know, just could not get it at all. I could not get it. And for months, um, you know, I, 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 was, I was just struggling with this. And I thought, well, it's just not for me. You know, you, you think, well, they've all got that, but it's not for me. Um, and just very briefly, what happened with me was that... Um, we were in a meeting, and, and those days we did a lot of soaking. That was something else that came from Toronto, that, you know, you would just come into God's presence and, um, and just, just be with him, really, which was, I found incredibly difficult. Um, and as, as we were um, doing that, I'd, my own dad came to my mind, and... I'd had a, felt a lot of resentment against my own dad in, in lots of ways because of his inability to meet my needs on an emotional level. Um, but I began to see suddenly 
that he was not able to do that because of things that he had experienced in the past. And instead of feeling resentful, I just thought, I just began to forgive him and, um, you know, just forgave him for not going, taking me out and having fun times together and so on. And so during all this session, I was just saying, I forgive you for this, I forgive you for that, I forgive you. And that felt really good. But then suddenly, um, this thing started to well up within me. Um, and bearing in mind that there's about 10 of us in this room and it's very quiet and very sort of peaceful and, you know, sort of tranquil and sort of this soft music. And I'm feeling this thing, you see, like, oh, what's going on? What's going on? Oh, and it just burst out. I have <laughs> this thing of bursting out every now and then. And I just sort of started sobbing and sobbing and sobbing and just Again, it was the little girl, you know. This, it was coming from this place where the pain had been, as the, the little girl's pain was. And so, <laughs> out of my mouth is just coming this, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. I mean, so embarrassing. I mean, you know, I've, well, at the time, I just, you know, I wasn't thinking this is embarrassing. I was just kind of, <sighs> I was just exploding from me, really. Um... And and that was and, and it was like as I'd forgiven my dad and knew then that I had let go of the resentment. I hadn't wasn't holding it against him anymore. It was like I'd made space and yeah, so Irving's gonna be talking about this tomorrow about forgiveness, but it was like suddenly there was space in that place for Daddy to come and and connect yeah and that was the first time I had actually connected with God, Father God the first time ever I thought I knew I mean it's you see this is why this this week can sometimes be um, a bit of a shock and a bit difficult because you think you know you think you know these things you've learned for in my case, 25 years that God is your father. God is your father. Jesus is your friend. Holy Spirit is your helper and your comforter. And it's great that you think you've got them all boxed, you know, nicely, ducks in a row, you know. And then you just realize that you have no idea. You haven't a clue what, what it means. Um, and... And, you know, so there's this connection, this kind of explosion of, oh, that's what it is about. Um, gosh, I'm not quite sure where I'm going after this. Oh, yes, I do know. Um, oh, oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, 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 just, just. Again, coming back to this, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And it was that knowing and that, you know, some people talk about like the 12-inch drop that goes from your head <laughs> to your heart, yeah? And so much is stored in our head, but sometimes it has not reached our heart because of what Irving said before about it, our heart, is, you know, there just lies there that need clearing out before we can actually access the truth. So, oh gosh, I'm, I'm just thinking of time. Okay, okay, I'll just do this quickly, five minutes. So, we're going to look now at some of the strategies that we use to, to hide from the fact that we um, are in pain, right? Some of the strategies. Uh, so the first one is we perform. Okay, and we talked about this, didn't we, with, earlier on with um, this friend of mine. Uh, the more her dad was unable to show her approval, the more she tried to, um, to show herself worthy of him by performing. Now, you know, we become a Christian, Right, before we become a Christian, before we become a Christian, there is a standard, yeah? And the standard is like this ruler. 
And, you know, you might get you might get up to there on the ruler or you might get up to there. But you know that there is a standard by which you are measured and you need to be good enough. OK, now, if you're in this sort of performance trap, if you like, that's what you do, then that's hard enough. You know, school and at home, you're measured. But then you become a Christian. And guess what? Because now God is establishing the standards, right? Those standards are even higher. And this standard, this is the standard of God, right? This is the standard of God. And you think, oh, I've got to um, get up really early to pray or get up even earlier than most people do to pray for four hours. Like that was, honestly, that's what we used to believe sort of 10 years ago. I must go to church every week. I must go to a midweek group every week. Um, I must play in the worship band if I'm very talented because I mustn't waste those talents, you know. Got to use them in the service of God. Go to the worship group. Do the children's work. You swear it's special stars for doing the children's work because it's jolly hard doing the children's work. Or the teenage work. You get sort of a special crown in heaven for doing the teenage work, which is what I've been doing for 30 years. And so, gosh, my crown must be massive. Um, what else? Come on, tell me, what else must you do? You know, if you're a good Christian, what does a good Christian do? Read the Bible? Fasting. Fast? Oh, yes, fasting. Fasting. I was praying, right? No falling asleep in the meetings, Andy, right? None of that. All right, we don't have that. Mm? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, doing performing in front of people, all those things. So, you know, you become a Christian and actually it gets more stressful if you are a performance person, yeah? So that makes it more difficult, yeah, for a, Christ for a Christian, certainly, um, depending what sort of church you're in, but yeah. So if you're in this performance trap, then your belief is... In order to feel really good about myself, I've got to do well. I've got to do well. Okay. And underline that, I mean, Ernie said earlier that, you know, we're all afraid. We're all afraid of things. And the fear here is fear of anyone getting it wrong, failure, yeah. Okay, so often in, in, in this performance box, we're the ones that everybody wants in their church because we're the ones who will, you know, do everything <laughs> within the church. So it doesn't look like we've got a problem, actually, on the surface. Another way that we try to um, right, cope with this pain is get people's approval. And these two are very much kind of crossover, really, don't they? Because obviously, um, you know, by performing, you often get the approval of the church leaders and so on. Um, so the, in the approval trap, if you like, it's I've got to be liked. In order to feel good about myself, I've got to be liked. And what would the fear there be, do you think? Fear of not being liked, fear of being rejected, in other words, yeah. So how easy is it to be absolutely 100% who you are and be yourself here? Impossible, isn't it? Because if you're just trying to be the person that that other person wants you to be, yeah, and in marriage, this can be the case as well, at home with parents, then who's the real you? Where's the real you in all this? Yeah? So those are, those are two very common, I think, ways that we have of, of, um, of trying to cope with the lies, the messages, the, 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 the beliefs we have. Um, another one is blame. And... Very much this is the sort of thing that those people who have, you know, are fighting the whole world um, shift the blame to somebody else, yeah? Underneath it all, it's my fault, actually. That's what they think. But if I can shift the blame to somebody else, then I don't have to take that pain. That pain 
will not hit home if I can push it onto you, yeah? So, but under, underneath it all, actually, I know I'm the one to blame. And what, what do you think the fear would be there? Yeah, fear of discovery. And if you get discovered, what would happen to you if it's your fault? Yeah, you get blamed and you might get punished as well. So it's fear of punishment. The last area where we um, have a coping mechanism, and this is probably the most painful area of all, is this area of shame. And often when we feel ashamed, how do we respond then? How do we... How do we sort of react if we feel ashamed? Yeah, we could do. I mean, there are two, there are two sort of opposite extremes, I think. We could retaliate. And I think some people, especially people who are quite, if you like, have plenty of resources, they will just they're out, be able to prove to the world that they don't need to be ashamed. There is no shame attached to them. But if you don't have those resources, um, what are you more likely to do, do you think? Hide, give up, yeah, withdraw. Um, and the, the fundamental belief with shame is this one. I'm bad. And this is the, the most cruel of all this area, because the message is there's something fundamentally wrong with me, yeah? There's something fundamentally wrong with me. In these, you can try to shift it somehow, yeah? You can try to compensate, but in this one is there's something fundamentally wrong with me. And often you'll find that um, children who've been abused will be in this shame trap here. But not just that. I mean, I think all of us, to some degree, have had messages that make us feel who I am, the real me, is actually not acceptable, yes, um, to a greater or lesser degree. And so the fear here is even more than the fear there is fear of being exposed because if you expose the real me we'll both have to accept that there's something fundamentally wrong and it's not going to change it's not going to change because that's who I am so how can you know how can we solve that one so that's a that's a pretty awful place to be really So we live with these coping mechanisms um, and life's a struggle. Um, and it's very, very hard to actually identify <laughs> these things. It's very hard to know what's going on under the surface. So this week, we're here to, if you like, ask God, to put the spotlight on any stuff that we believe in, that you're believing, that um, is preventing you really from knowing the truth. Yeah, I think I'll finish there. Have you got anything else you want to add to that? Okay. Any questions? I'm sorry, I should have said that before. Any questions that you'd like to ask? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's there's not. You might find some people are more more likely to to be in one rather than the other, but I think most. You're absolutely right. Most people are a mixture of those of those sort of mechanisms. Really, yes, yeah. Yeah. 
And with this one, especially, I'm, um, it's not just, oh, gosh, I did that. I really feel a bit ashamed of doing that. Um, it's, it's a much more profound thing than, oh, I got something wrong. I'm a bit embarrassed or ashamed. Does that make sense? It's much more profound. It's usually with this one, there are messages that you've had um, repeatedly in your childhood, right? You've repeatedly had the same message. Um, you know, some parents just, you know, they react, don't they, in the wrong way. They choose the wrong things to say. And, you know, oh, you're stupid. You're so stupid. What do you do that for? Um, you hear that over and over again. You know, that's what you, you believe. Um, yes, yeah, useless. Um, yeah, little, a friend, friend, another friend of mine, she... Um, Uh, I think she had two brothers, um, and then she was the, the next child. But they never planned to have a next child. And so they would jokingly refer to her as little miss one too many. In other words, you, you're the extra one that didn't, we didn't want. Yeah. But that was a joke. That was a joke. You know, I said, oh, you know, little miss one too many. <laughs> but of course, what does that make you feel? You know, I'm a mistake. You know, I was a mistake. I didn't, I shouldn't be here. So it's very profound stuff that can happen in our hearts when people have no intention of hurting us, really. Um, yeah, any, anything else? Any comments or any other questions that you wanted to ask? Yes, yes, absolutely. Yes. No, we no. Yeah, we do. We do. Ophelia, what were you going to say? Yes, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Yes, yeah. How do you actually um, differentiate between it's just a normal human reaction of, of anger or, um, or just, I don't know, sometimes you just feel like if I stay in this room any, any more, any longer, I am going to say something I shouldn't say, so I'll just walk out. And that's a good choice, isn't it? You just think, right, I'll remove myself so that I don't... Um, well, I would say one, one way is that um, it's, an, it's, it's a reaction that's out of proportion to the situation often. Um, does that make sense? So the situation is a smallish one. Like Irving was saying, somebody might make a joke at your expense and just say, oh, you know, um, I don't know, I can't, I'm not very good at jokes, so I can't think of anything, but... Um, and other people would just say, oh, and then they would answer back and say, oh, what do you mean? And there'd be a little bit of, but you would just think, oh, that really, you know, that really hurt. And you realize that actually you're reacting in a, in a different way from the way that most people react to that. Um, would you have anything to add to that? No, I think I would just say, I think in general, you say, how, how do you know if this is coming from a deep place of love? I think usually the question to ask yourself is, is this a problem? You know, the way I'm reacting, I'm always angry with you. Is, is it causing problem? Is it causing problem for me? Is it causing problem for others? That, that's dysfunction. You're not functioning well. And I think if you realize, hey, I'm not functioning well, that's a problem. That's a problem. And that almost certainly Almost always. Right, so what Irving was saying there was that um, if you realise that this is a problem for you and it's causing other people problems as well, um, and, and, and yet it's, it's also something that you recognise as a pattern. So, you know, it's, it's not just like a w once in a while, but, but you recognise that 
whenever this sort of thing, I mean, this sort of circumstance, I react in that sort of way, then um, that's, that's a, another indicator, really, I would say, as well. Okay, yeah, yeah. So what we're going to do this afternoon is we're going to watch a video. Uh, and then we're going to just make a start today on getting rid of some of those lies so we're making room for that truth. Thank you for listening to the iDestiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.